0: Greetings and welcome to today's episode of the seven-figure millennials podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And let me just say really quick, I sincerely hope that you are having a fantastic day. And I'm not just saying that just to say it wherever you are right now, whether you're in the gym, in the car, walking, doing some dishes, I just want you to take a second and really appreciate all the incredible things going on in your life. And I hope that this the rest of this day is just fantastic for you. So just wanted to say that. I don't know why I was compelled to say that in today's intro, but you are also absolutely in the right place and listening to the right podcast if you're an already successful entrepreneur or you're an aspiring entrepreneur who believes that at the end of the day, impact is significantly greater than income, that happiness is a journey, not a destination, and success means way more than just having money in your bank account, a fancy title, or a list of accomplishments. Now, every single week, it is my job to interview somebody that has a story, that has experiences, that can help you on your entrepreneurial journey, and today's guest, Is David Hennessy. And I'm gonna read from his original LinkedIn bio because I think it's so important and you'll hear me talk about this again in the interview. But here we go. I have slept in a bush while looking for work with a family to support. My loving dad and wonderful mother-in-law passed away. I was hit in two car accidents before I had a rock climbing accident and could not walk without intense pain for six months. And this all happened in a new country where I did not speak the language. I had hit rock bottom, but I managed to pull myself up by applying new and old skills that I knew could change my life for the better. I even recently ran my first marathon to test my body and started rock climbing again. So 20 years ago, David created a holistic personal development program called the wonder technique that is continue to evolve over the years. And David has presented the wonder technique at hundreds of workshops and seminars. And his goal is to give the fundamental tools of personal development to everyone on the planet. And as you can probably tell, he has an incredible story and he's leveraged these really simple tools to overcome extreme adversity in your life. So whatever you're going through, I know that there's a lesson that you can learn from David's incredible story. So in this episode, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, why after his rock climbing accident, David chose not to get surgery and the really cool things that he did to heal himself. Number two, I want you to listen to David's acronym that he calls SHALT, and he had innovated upon this, and I had never heard of this acronym before, but it's going to help you to better understand when you shouldn't be making important decisions, and also to be more understanding of people. And number three, I want you to listen for David's litmus test for determining the quality of your relationships, and his other technique called the turnaround technique that will help you to better understand how people could be perceiving your words and behaviors. Also, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to McShirley, who left a review on iTunes saying, great interviewing Brandon, loved your bits of surprise background info and thorough research. You really made me think about, also made it fun. And that's about the best compliment one can make. Well done. So if you haven't picked up on that, Mark was actually a guest on the show and he did an incredible job leaving a review. So thank you so much, Mark. And if you want to go check out that episode, that's Mark McShirley, and he is episode number 24, and you can learn about how he grew his business from $600,000 a year to 10 million in 4.5 years by using incredible things like playing with friction, focusing on simplicity. So all that stuff can be found in Mark's episode. But if you're a returning listener and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, please do so. Not only does it make my day sincerely, it really does. I stop, I read every single one. I might read and give you a shout out in a future episode. And it also helps more people to discover the show. So if you are down for doing that, you can head to sevenfiguremillennials.com review to find out exactly how to leave a review. And I also give a little bonus gift as a thank you if you choose to leave an honest review and it's gonna show how I get some of these incredible guests on the show so that you can use the techniques that I've learned over all these years to get the connections that you need to grow your business. So again, all that can be found at sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation and incredible story with David Hennessy. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today, we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. All right, David, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here.
1: I am so excited to be here too, Brandon. It's great to be here.
0: So uh, first of all, I want to start by thanking Laura Moon. I know she listens to a uh, episode every once in a while, but I just want to thank Laura for introducing us. I was on Laura's podcast and she asked me what I was looking for help for and who I wanted to be connected with. And I told her I'm always looking for people for the show and a bonus for people with crazy and empowering stories. And I think that's where you came to mind, uh, where that introduction. So I, I would love to start by, I'm going to read a section from your LinkedIn bio, and then we're okay. going to kind of dive in and unpack a little bit. So if that's okay, okay. with you, I'll just dive right in. So follow the uh, it says... <laughs> it says I've slept in a bush while looking for work with a family to support. My loving dad and wonderful mother-in-law passed away. I was hit in two car accidents before I had a rock climbing accident and could not walk without without intense pain for six months. And it all happened in a new country where I did not speak the language. I had hit rock bottom, but I managed to pull myself up by applying new and old skills that I knew would change my life for the better. I even recently ran my first marathon to test my body and started rock climbing again. I have learned a lot over the last twenty years, and I started, since I started teaching the wonder technique and I want to share them with you. So there's a lot to unpack there. I'm sure people can already tell it. There's a crazy story waiting for us, but I wanted to start by zooming in to one component of that story and we can kind of just go from there. So can you kind of set us, set the scene, tell us why you were in a country where you didn't speak the language and then walk us through that day when you had that rock climbing accident.
1: Okay. I ended up in France, which is where I'm speaking to you from right now. And that was because um, my mother-in-law, she needed our support. She needed us, uh, our daughter and my children to come over and be with her. So we moved. And that happened in 2009. We actually decided in January 2009 to move. And in April, we were in France, which was very quick to move from one country to another. And I didn't speak the French language when I got here, Um it was not in my mind <laughs> believe it or not it wasn't in my mind that it was important I literally moved for for, for, the, for reasons of the heart but didn't think much about the com- the impact that it would have on myself especially my children were very young at the time moving to a country where not only did not speak the language but I was living in Canada for those people listening British Columbia, Canada so the west side where we don't speak French well there's probably some French speaking people but not so many my experience has always been in the English language and so when I moved to France. Not only was I dealing with the language barrier, but a completely different legal system, a completely different medical system. I was literally like grounds. I was like I was a child lost in the dark, but I moved for the right reason. But so that's how I ended up in France in 2009. So. And then,
0: and then, so can you walk us through the the what happened with the rock climbing? I know maybe yes. we can unpack some of the other stories, but what happened that day that that you, that you had that accident?
1: Okay, well, what actually happened was is that I've been a, a long term hiker for many many years, and I love hiking, and I love uh, going to the maximum amount of summits that I can, but respecting the fact that sometimes it could be dangerous for me to go to the summit, Brandon. So. I always wanted to learn how to rock climb so I would feel safe when I was at a peak. For example, I once uh, went to a peak in actually in 2009 when I moved to France, Mont-Gilas, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which is the highest peak in the Mercantour Park in the south of France, in the, in the Alps. And I didn't go to the summit because it was so exposed. For the last roughly 100 meters, so about 300 feet, you have to climb Uh you could use a rope and pins, but I had no knowledge of that, and it was pretty exposed rock. So I always know how to make a decision not to go beyond my scope because I was at that time I was on my own, Manchilas. Um, so I decided a couple of years later, it was actually in two thousand and end of two thousand and thirteen, that I would take up rock climbing and learn how to actually climb. And one of the things that was unusual was because me learning to rock climb so that I could go up a mountain was also I needed to learn how to down climb. Because if you start climbing up a, like a, a small rock face and you realize eh, this is not the right way because they're not actually a pinned route, you have to down climb. And I started actually in a climbing center close to where I live to kind of learn some basics. And I I was the only one, like I noticed it, that I was climbing up and climbing down all the time. And I started in like, it was about December 2013. I wasn't regularly going, but in April uh, 2014, I was just went, I think it was, I believe it was a Tuesday night, was what I remember. I went there and I was climbing up and climbing down and doing the little routes, working on my mental state of mind. Because even though I was indoors and not very high off the ground, I always had a fear of heights that basically, because I'm not a bird, but also like maybe a little bit more extreme, like, you know what, I got to make sure that I don't fall. So I was training my mind. And that evening, and I don't know why, instead of down climbing, which I always did, I jumped. And when I jumped, I landed with my legs straight. And it doesn't take much height to when you hit the ground with your legs straight I just felt like an electric shock go up through my legs and through my spine and I thought that was weird I'd never had that experience before and our bodies go automatically like into protection mode so you don't necessarily know what you did so actually I continued to climb for a little bit probably no way yeah just
0: got, up and got up i and got continued. up and i started
1: yeah literally for like probably about a half an hour or so and then i was realized just doesn't feel good like i was still mobile and then i went home and i felt the pain but my body was still hiding it this is the best way to describe it but on the thursday two days later i i realized that when i was sitting down i could barely move like the, the kind of like the buffering of the body was gone. I hadn't taken any medication. And all of a sudden, I was like, this is extraordinary pain. So um we went to the hospital. I went in and I, and it's really kind of good in France where they took me in, they put me inside a, an MRI machine, which is like a huge metal tube if for those people that may be familiar listening. And I always remember it, the experience, because while they're putting you into the machine, they have the radio on. And even though this was 2014 and I'd been living in France for a few years, I still didn't really understand French that well, although now my French is good enough to converse with people. Like I kind of say to people, I can have an argument in French, like, you know, just to kind of give a level of my comprehension, but that's not my intention. But in the <laughs> machine, they had the radio on, and it was French commercials. Like it was like torture for me. Like, you know, I don't even like listen to commercials in any language. So I was like, oh my gosh. And they got me in here and they're scanning me. And what was really interesting was, is that right afterwards, they had a surgeon who took a look like a, a, a doctor, but actually a trained surgeon who looked at the X-ray and said, well, you got two choices here. One of them is you've got to figure out the problem with your back. The other thing is you've got two huge hernias and you probably will need to be operated, but you can decide. And the most amazing part of that experience, actually, Brandon, was is that I was in intense pain. I did not want to have an operation because I knew two people who had serious back problems. In fact, one of them was my mother-in-law who had prior to that moment in time had already passed away since I'd moved to France. And she'd had a massive back injury in her life. Um, yeah, I think that kind of takes me emotionally back to that moment. But when I was outside, I remember sitting in the passenger seat of the car and something happened that I will never forget. And that was the car was parked in front. of was a crosswalk. I think that's the term. Mm -hmm. In in North America, because I have to remember, Canada, every country has got a different phrase for things. And I saw a gentleman in an electric wheelchair go across who was clearly had only the capacity to move his head. Like he was paraplegic, would that be the right term? I'm not sure if that's the right term. And I looked and went, oh my gosh, wow, what he's going through. And I realized what the pain that I was in was minimal compared to what he was going through. And it's amazing in life how things like that happen. Like I'm just possible. I may never have seen him, but I saw him. And I recognized that, okay, there still is a potential for me to heal here. What can I do? So that's the, that's, that, that leads you to the moment in time where then I had the diagnosis just before I was, went outside that, I either had to have an operation or figure out what I was going to do. But I knew if I could, can I shall I go a little bit further into in the future as yeah, to what go happened. Okay, I knew as I lay on the couch, which is the only place with my legs up trying to sleep at night, that I could try and sleep and deal with the pain. I was taking medication, it was not working and I was a little afraid of taking too much painkillers because I wanted to know If if I was hurting my body by my movement, because, you know, if you take too much medication, you might do a movement that's wrong for your body. So I was lying there thinking, okay, I've hiked for this long. How can I support my family? What can I do? Because I felt really. Powerless. And I mean, it was already compounded in the fact that I was already in another country where I didn't really speak the language properly yet. And it, when I, because I'd worked in Canada for so long and business was easy for me, like when I left uh, Canada in 2009, the prior year, which was actually the time when we had the financial crisis, that particular financial crisis, shall we say, I had the best business year of my life. And it was almost like, why would you leave a country when that happened? But all of a sudden I went from there to zero when I went to France because I didn't have work instantaneously because you have to build a business, right? And building a business when you don't have the language, it gets complicated. Then things were rolling along. I was starting to figure things out a little bit and then this happened. So I, I, I lay on the couch and I remembered thinking in my mind, what can I do here? And I I knew that I had to change how I looked at the world. What was going on in my mind and how I was going to focus it, so I can go deeper into that as to what I did.
0: So, yeah. Know. So at that at that point, can you just you know I read the LinkedIn bio where you would explain a whole bunch of other stuff. So at this point, mm-hmm. where you're sitting on the couch and you don't speak the language, you're injured with your back. This is after two car accidents yes. and the passing of your your father and your mother-in-law. Is yes. That correct. So we're we're at this point when you have. All this stuff that's going on, you don't know what's happening, and now you have to pull yourself from the rock bottom. So was that like the, the lowest of the low point was when you were sitting on the couch right
1: there? This was at that moment in time in my life, the lowest point, yes. And I mean, as you mentioned, my dad, and and we've we've talked about this before because you're a great fan of Jim Rohn. My dad was a great fan of Jim Rohn and had even met Jim Rohn. And with regards to my dad being one of my greatest mentors in my life, and then the reason moving to France, because my mother-in-law is such a loving woman. She loved my children and great-grandmother. And then like the the car accidents that I was in, I was in um I was in a car stopped in traffic and someone ran into the back of, of me in a, like what we call in, in France, a scooter, which is, I don't know what you call it in North America. It's like a motorbike, but it's, it's one speed. Motorcycle. Yeah. And uh, that guy was okay, but it was a kind of an accident. My back wasn't. It was kind of like a shock, but I'm pretty healthy and fit, so I passed that. Roughly a year later, I was stopped again in traffic, different location. I was actually in Cannes, which is in the south of France, stopped in traffic, and a guy in a van ran into me, and I hadn't got my hands on the steering wheel because we were stopped in traffic, and it was like my body flinched, and that I had to go to, you know, some um, therapy and stuff to help my body, but I recovered from that, and then it was Oh, that was March, think 2013. Then it was April 2014 when the rock climbed. I was like, hang on a second here. What is going on? Like, am I yeah. rolling down a hill here? And I don't believe that I, could have, I would have created that reality for myself because there's a certain amount of impact we have on the world around us. But clearly I needed to learn something from this experience. And that was, even though, I mean, the program I created, The Wonder Technique, started in 2000. This is 14 years into my work in helping people with their minds and their bodies. But I have always been tested quite frequently, and I learn a lot from that experience. I, I do my very best to walk my talk, but this is really testing me because I'm a yes, very the- passionate person about hiking. And here I had a chance that I would never be able to walk without extreme pain again, never considering the idea that when I hiked, was, you know, I carry a big pack. It couldn't carry anything at that moment in time. Couldn't even carry my own weight.
0: Yeah. So this was the universe's way of saying, "Prove that your wonder technique works, David." <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's get, let's let's give you all this stuff now. Oh get out God. of it. <laughs> yes. So so walk us through. So you're at that low point. What did you start to do? Because I know you have a whole bunch of content on resilience training. Obviously, yes. lots of that is stemmed from this experience of coming from this. So you know, how did you start to get? your feet back underneath you and and what did you start to do to make, make your family safe and start bringing money in again? How did that, how did all that unfold?
1: Okay. Um, What I did actually, it's a very good question was just two things. One thing is I I worked on my state of mind by listening to humor, reading comedy. Um, I remembered that um, there was an anatomy of of, um, an illness. Uh, It was a book written many years ago where a gentleman had cured himself from an injury, not an injury, but a, a illness that he had by using humor, watching the Three Stooges. It was apparently the story that he, he mentioned. And for me, so I started reading and looking at humor and just wanting to boost my mind, my state of mind, because I wasn't feeling that good. OK, and I, I wasn't attending any sort of mental therapy, I was working on my own mind. And when you have young children and my wife around, I'm like, I didn't want to be contaminating the life of other people around me by my state of mind. That was one side. The other side was I actually was watching videos on rock climbing, believe it or not, uh, to inspire myself as to where I could go when I got back on track. And then there was something that I believe now I know to my right here, I have a little book on the shelf here. Hang on a second here. I'm pretty sure it's in this book here, Zen and the Martial Arts. This is an old book. You can see it's actually discolored by Joe Hyman's. Joe Hyman's um, trained actually with Bruce Lee. And Joe, I'm pretty sure in this book here, um, I'll have to look back, but my memory says it's in here. He talked about a gentleman who'd smashed his hand while doing martial arts and went to the doctor and the doctor had said that you'll, this is a serious injury. I don't think you can ever use your, your hand properly again. And he said, there's so many bones broken in your, in your hand. It's like irreparable. I always remember the story, Brandon. And for those people listening, when I share what i got from that story they might say that's a little bit out there but what i remembered how the gentleman in the book had healed his hand was he went through some remedial therapy like for example through medicine and that but he also imagined every night as he was going to sleep that there was like a construction site of builders repairing and building his hand like repairing the bones okay and I did the same to my back. I taught about the hernias. I taught about the position of my body. And I imagined that not that the pain was going away, but that that the hernias were decreasing, that this was going away. And the therapy that I had, um, I went to an osteopath in France, which essentially, he wanted to use different like injections and stuff. And I didn't want that because I just didn't feel right about it. He helped stretch my spine. But between appointments, which was every couple of weeks, I worked on my mind, focusing on my body to heal. And my perception of physical healing is, for example, when we cut our hands and it starts to heal, we feel some pain, right? You know, when you feel the knitting and the scars coming together, the pain is part of the healing process. So I knew that some pain I would still experience as my back was healing, But I was working on my mind, which really governs my body. The body can't really change the mind so much. But the mind can change the body. Because when we talk about the mind, we talk about the brain and everything. So I worked on that. And this was in. course started in, in April 2014. And I set a goal in my mind, actually, that in six months' time, I would be able to walk around what I call walking around the block where I lived. And that was my goal, even though I couldn't walk around the apartment at the time. And in October, I did it. I was able to have walk without serious pain around the block. And I was really curious. I wanted to know, was I living with the hernia still and I just bypassed it? Or had it been reduced to two hernias, pardon me? So normally in France, you cannot get a scan done again once you've had an injury because it's already proven. But I found a doctor who was willing to write a prescription and ordinance in French uh, to get the scan done again because I wanted to know, is it healing? And the scan was done. I still have both scans and the hernias were shrunken, like they they were almost gone. And as you that's mentioned incredible. later, a couple of years later, a friend of mine talked to me about, hey, David, I'm thinking about doing a marathon. Would you like to do it? And I thought, hmm, if I could do a marathon and not have physical pain in my back, that would be a miracle, which I yeah, did Yeah,
0: that's, that's- that's incredible. Yeah, there's some there's some great uh, pictures and, and footage on your site of you actually running the marathon and with yes. your finishing medal, which is awesome. So so just to clarify, so there's a few things that you said there that I think are really important to highlight for us to all just remember. Please that, yes that 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 humor was like the first thing that you turned to you're like I can't be in this state of mindset I can't be impacting my family with this the state that I'm in so just changing the humor and I know physiology is also very important obviously physiology changing your physiology was hard for you you can't yes. sit up and 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 you know go on work out and change your physiology because when your back is broken yeah. but, um, but 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 uh, humor was was a huge thing so think about humor and then you immediately shifted towards an external goal you you instead of sitting there and wallowing in the pain and thinking about how miserable things were you started looking At what life was going to be like after you had recovered from it already? Looking at videos of rock climbing and set a goal for six months out of being able to walk around the block again. So, I mean, I know you said everything there in passing, but but I just think it's really important for anybody in any situation, whether you you got in a car accident, you're healing, or you're setting any goal, it's really important to understand how you control your mindset and also making sure that you're visualizing what your life is going to be after you've achieved your your goals. That was super powerful, and I wanted I wanted to ask too. So you what so you you didn't take medication you didn't get the surgery so so basically there was no did you do any physical therapy it was it was pretty much just your visualization and and small stretching or what what the
1: osteopath what his job was um i don't know if they have osteopaths where you are they they, basically he stretched my body i would go to an appointment and he would stretch my spine and, uh, the idea is that, so that the, the hernia, because the hernia is like, is between the discs and it's pushing out to give it space to go in. So, yeah, they, in France, actually, um, cortisol, cortisol, I, I remember the name. You, they can give you tablets for like a very high level painkiller, but this was disorientating me and I couldn't focus. So I didn't take the painkillers that's my choice. I'm not a doctor, don't pretend to be, but that's what I did. I wanted to really feel my body and see what I was going through. And I rested, I worked on my mind. And so yeah, and I didn't didn't have any surgery. And I'm really glad of that. Because in fact, um, somebody else I know, I mentioned, I know two people, but one person younger than myself who had an operation on their back once, two years later, they had to have the operation done again, because it didn't work out. And so I was aware of that, that they'd had two operations. I was thinking, if I can avoid that, because you know what? I know people who've had brain surgery and it seems to be that doctors, surgeons can work on the brain easier than work on the back. It seems amazing, but the back is really, really tricky for to work on. And when people, so I, I, you know, I highly recommend to everybody out there, pay attention to your back. Like people that when, when they bend down and pick up stuff, a lot of times people don't... The simple way of bending down and picking up stuff, that's not what happened to me uh, to cause the injury. But you can abuse your body over time when you're young and you think that it's okay, but you install a habit that's actually the wrong habit. And it people... I've met people, you know, um, much, much, much younger than me who have hurt their back by just posture. Like I, I sit right now and I'm sitting in this chair... And I'm sitting straight using my back. I'm not leaning on the back of the chair. And in fact, part of my recovery is what has worked. As I started to work again, I was standing up pretty much all day because I couldn't sit down. So that was part of my recovery. But Brandon, I want to share something uh, that you alluded to that's really important that I learned by going back to the experience after it happened to try and figure out what exactly I did. And this is um, what I call a little bit of a process of reverse engineering. When I when I was lying on the couch, I was thinking about, what if I don't recover? What will my world look like in a year, five years, ten years time? And this is something anybody listening can do. This now, when you're, you know, I, I know that lots of people listen to your podcasts, and not just millennials, but. Even if you have a financial goal, a relationship goal, and you're wondering where will I get the motivation to do what I need to do, put yourself in the future five or 10 years time and imagine if you don't do this goal, where you're going to be. So I did this. I taught, okay, I'm not going to be able to do any of the activities I love doing, hiking, being in the mountains, hiking with my family because my children have always hiked with me. I've carried them up mountains and stuff. I'm not going to feel very good about this so i made it so that moving through the future and resting in the same state of mind physically was going to be painful okay and so i would say to people like some people say "Ah, yeah it's a back injury doesn't really matter but imagine you know uh, in your mind where okay now you have children and they have grandchildren and they're your grandchildren you can't even bend over to play with them because you've an injury or we're talking about money here Okay, so yeah, one day I'll get around to saving, you know, 10% of my income or investing my money and and spending below how much I earn, you know? People most people spend more than beyond to say, "Well, I'll get a raise soon or I'm working on this great project so we're borrowing a lot of money for the company, it'll all work out." But you should you look at the idea and say, "Well, why don't I take control of my finances now?" And then the compound effect to so the future is great. And or you look to the future 10 years and say, well, what if the product doesn't work out? Or what if I don't get the raise I anticipated? Or all those sort of things and gay. I know I need to get back to right now and start taking action now that's going to control my financial future, my relationship future, my health future, and use yeah. that as a motivation. So i that's what I, I did. I didn't realize it at the time. I know I taught about it, but now I know definitely that's one of the things that I use all the time in my life is I look, well, what if I don't take that action What will be the impact, long term, not short term, long term?
0: That's huge, yeah. And I think if you go, if anybody goes and studies some stoicism, there's some core tenets of stoic philosophy in there too. And anybody, one of my favorite YouTube videos or TED talks of all time is Tim Ferriss's uh, fear setting exercise, and that's one of the things he talks about is the the cost of inaction, and that's just so powerful, is because most of the time we think about the cost of taking an action and what the consequences are, but it is it is. In your best interest to also consider the cost of inaction, exactly what you said is like, if I do not take action on this, what will my life look like and paint that in picture in your head so that it actually inspires you to move forward. And you started naturally transitioning into another topic that I know that that is is something you talk about a lot that I thought would be curious to dive into. You have this topic of resilience in advance. And so like that, that was kind of what you're talking about is preparing yourself for, you know, things that might happen. Um, so can you maybe tell us a little bit about what resilience in advance is, or maybe clarify if you already were telling us about resilience in advance without us having a name and label for it?
1: <laughs> yes. Thank you for noticing that. That's very perceptive. Resilience in advance to me is the idea of learning tools, habits, techniques in your life that you don't yet need to have. Like you're preempting the issue. So For example, when we take care of our health and well-being when we're younger, it is kind of like building resilience in advance because that goes with us throughout our lives, the habits that we have. So we don't want to wait till we have a physiological or a mental issue to then start learning the tools. Because, for example, if you end up in a situation where, like for me, I did enter into that challenge with my back, but I had been working on the wonder technique for 14 years. Right. As you talked about, I did have a certain skill set. I was conscious of the fact that I needed to keep my body hydrated while I was healing through this injury. Hydration is really important. You need to have biological water inside the, the discs on the body. Like I was aware of all that. I was aware of the fact that as well, that eating certain foods, some foods create more inflammation in the body. So I made sure that I, I, I mean, I have the habit for a long time, but that you're not eating inflammatory foods. Okay. Without going too much into that. So that's resilience in advance for me is that you learn the habits and they become part and parcel of your life as a norm. So, and you embrace things in your life as well, that things that you enjoy. Like a lot of people say, you know what, I'll get around to exercising someday. Well, I'll say, well, find an exercise, Brandon, that you love to do and just do it. Like hiking to me, I love being out in nature. The side effect is the exercise. The rock climbing, I don't do rock climbing now for exercise. I do it because I love doing it. I love the feeling of being on the rocks, trying to figure out the route and everything. So the resilience in advance is learning skills ahead of time. It could be as simple as I've mentioned before, having tools handy that can help you in case something happens. Um, Like even if your car, if you have battery cables, a fire extinguisher in your home, I've used that example before. That's preparing you to be able to deal with something if something catastrophic happens. Yeah, you know,
0: I love that. And to, to add a layer on top of this mm-hmm. too, this is a topic I actually, I really love, but uh, Benjamin Hardy has this book called Willpower Doesn't Work. And one of my favorite things from learning from Ben directly and also from the book is he has this concept of, I don't think it's Ben's, it's been around for a while, but it's all about environment engineering. Yes. So the idea behind this is like, how can you create an environment where the natural byproduct of being a part of the environment results in you doing the thing that you want to do. So kind of tying a whole bunch of things together, you were talking about resilience in advance when it comes to finances. Uh, Another guest I had on the show was Patty Lawrence, and she was talking about uh, setting up six months of an emergency buffer of your overhead for your business yes. in the case of an event. And like lots of people have learned this the hard way because of COVID, yes. you know? And so that, that is a perfect example of if you're looking at applying resilience in advance, how can you set up a automatic contribution to an emergency fund? It's pretty easy to do if you have any savings account. For you sure. can automatically contribute a few thousand bucks a month, 500 bucks a month, uh, you know, whatever it is. So I would encourage anybody if they're, if they're interested in leveraging this resilience in advance and setting yourself up so that you, you're not uh, in a situation where COVID happens and your your business gets swept underneath you, how can you start creating an environment where the natural byproduct of the environment is that you're setting yourself up to make sure that you can overcome crazy things if they do happen?
1: Exactly. Actually, Brandon, to give a couple of more examples, and it's from my own life, when, when we got locked down in France for the first time, a lot of people were running the stores to get certain things, whether it was toilet roll or canned food, I already had like like canned food as a backup. like you know, I love fresh food, but I always had some backup like I had that. Finance I had money put aside. I had the car. I always make sure that my car is at least half full of fuel, okay? So I always like that they're habits that you in- install over time. So when something happens, you're prepared. And yeah. instead of running into crisis, like you said when I when I moved to France, we did have savings. And if we didn't have the savings, it would have been even more of a meltdown for me because, you know, running into the fact that I didn't have the language for the local country. So, yeah. yes, that's that all. There's a lot of stuff inside resilience in advance. And it's really about being prepared, but not being obsessive, but having those things in place and you just take care of them. And you, it's like the fire extinguisher in the kitchen. Like if you walked into my kitchen right now, you see there's a fire extinguisher. I've never had to use it. But the beautiful thing about resilience and if I just may add, is that often it gives you the capacity to help other people. I have a very comprehensive first aid kit in my backpack, and I have helped so many people. Even recently, a week ago, I went rock climbing and a guy cut his hand rock climbing. He had no, nothing to take care of it. I just opened the pack and I have this first aid kit, took out some bandages, tape and was able to help him. I've met people on trails you know those sort of things. I've helped people with their cars wouldn't start. You know, I'm pretty mechanically minded, so so it, when you have the skill set, it helps you, but it also can help other people. And this is part of what yeah. your work you're helping other people by sharing your knowledge for to get people to think about these things. And that's it's valuable to think about things ahead of time,
0: yeah. And for everybody listening, I want to just highlight this too it's like this is not. Uh, let me just, I'll put it very bluntly. This is not sexy to like, to to, it's not sexy to prepare and that kind of stuff, but like you will be so grateful when you do it. And I think that's one thing that you do very well, David, is that, you know, the the most fundamental things that are so important to life that we all are always looking at the new crazy hack or the new special way to do it, those are most likely not the most efficient way to do it. And if you boil it down, the secret is in the simplicity, simplicity, as you say. So resilience is in advance is one of those things. But I know you teach a lot about in your thinking. So what are some other simple, they may, may not be, you know, the most exciting things on the planet, but things that probably people aren't doing that need to be doing. But what are some of the other simple things that we need to make sure that we're covering the bases so that we're set up for success in the future?
1: Okay. I, I will say that, I mean, lots of stuff in the wonder technique is the core principles of learning how to get a good night's sleep and everything are really important. But something that comes to my mind that's very relative to business Uh, I mean, of course, sleep is important to your creativity, your ability to manage your stress, all kinds of stuff. But a simple example is if people will say to me that, you know what, I I don't have a great contact with my clients, or I don't have a, a, you know, I'm having challenges in a relationship with a friend or a spouse and stuff and I'll, and I've, I said a simple question, I said, well, have you started talking to them about this? Like, or asked them, how do they feel about things? And No, I haven't done that yet. And I'm like, this is what you need to do. And I mean, you've quoted some other people, and I want to make sure people recognize where I got the following quote from. Uh, Sam Harris once said that when we don't have conversation, we can end up in conflict. And I really buy into that. When I went through university in psychology, one of my professors who taught a class on international conflict resolution, he said the conflict between countries boiled down to the inability of the two people, the leaders of each country, to have a conversation. And when we have a conversation and take the time to ask our clients, for example, you know, okay, you're, you, know, you bought the product, you stopped using it, tell me more. Why? I mean, the guys from Airbnb, Brian Chesky, I mean, if you know a little bit of their history, they went around door to door taking photographs when they first started Airbnb and started asking people, what can we do better to help serve you? Like they went right to the people. And sometimes we can do a lot of marketing and business, but we forget to actually ask the clients that we have, the people that are already committed to us, say, how can we help you better? And in a relationship, uh, and relationships are super important, and this is why we can see this in the world right now where lots of people have been pulled away from the social interaction, is just to take the time to have a conversation with the people that are around you, not just to be in the same space, but actually to be there listening to open up a conversation. And somebody asked me yesterday that they were working on something and they wanted to know, they didn't feel it was going really well. And they were saying, it feels like this relationship is more of a transaction. And I want to talk to a person about this. And my suggestion, which they liked, uh, was, I said, why don't you go to them and say, how do you feel about this relationship right now? Get them to start talking. Because maybe they're thinking the exact same thing as you. Because the hardest thing is if you turn to somebody and say, well, I don't think this relationship is going so well, it starts off on quite a heavy, perhaps a negative tone like a critical tone, when that's not really your intention. So if you ask the other person, let's explore this together, it can be very good. And I think the the rules for simplicity, you asked me about simplicity. I think the same things work in relationships that work in business. If we keep in contact with people that we know that are our friends over time, we keep those relationships nourished forever. The same in business. We don't just show up and and say, you know, on Valentine's Day, buy a gift for the person that you're in love with. No, that's not what you do. And you don't just once a year send a Christmas card or whatever season it is to your client and expect that to have a positive impact. It's a constant nourishing of the relationship. So my simple approach is makes it easier for me, actually, is to look at everything in similar ways.
0: Yeah, that's so, so powerful. And I love that you transition this into the concept of simplicity and relationships, because just like a financial bank account, you have a human capital bank account, you know, like, you know, you, if you're listening to this, you're still in a job, or if your business goes to shit, (laughs) you know, like, you're gonna want those relationships with the people that you that that, that are willing to help you. And to tie this all together, I I shared this on a workshop that I did uh, last week, but um, the podcast, and I'm not saying everybody should have a podcast, because a lot of work that goes into it but this is a simple solution for me to develop incredible relationships with people because if you think about it and going back to the environment engineering just by the function of me having a podcast I have like six or seven touch points to develop a relationship with someone. And, you know, so like it'll be the first time I meet them. It'll be the first conversation I have with them. It'll be inviting them on the show. It's their experience going through the the onboarding process. It's the the fact that I do, you know, two to 12 hours of research on somebody and I show up and I invest in that. So like those are all ways to invest in the relationship and then making it worth someone's time to, uh, you know, take the video content and the audio content and create blog content and, and just show that I'm investing in the relationship. And then where, goes even further is once I've had a, you know, hour long conversation with somebody, I can then connect them to other people that I've met on the show and just constantly do this over and over again. So I'm not looking for these short term gains or anything like that. I just know that if I keep depositing and keep adding value everywhere I can, it's going to pay off in the future. And so that's another example of resilience in advance plus environment engineering plus simplicity. It's that just by running a podcast without doing anything else outside of what I'm normally doing, I'm developing these relationships which will which will have long-term benefits uh and you know not just benefits cuz I don't want to look at it as a transactional thing but like I'll be developing incredible relationships with people just as a result of having a podcast.
1: For sure Brandon and you, and it, the word that you keep on using which is so important is relationships. That's what life is all about. Really we can take everything out and we leave just the relationships. That's what we crave as human beings. Business is about relationships. People work with people they want to work with that they feel good about because they have some form of relationship with them. It's not always about the price. You know, it's not always about the features. It's about, hey, I want to go to that store because I like that person. They're great to chat with. They pay attention. They listen to me. You know, these things are important. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if somebody wants to explore more on this topic of what Dave was talking about, I did an episode um, that was talking about with Joshua B. Lee. He's a LinkedIn guy. And he talks about how there's no such thing as B2B, no such thing as B2C. There's only h to h human to human. Yes. And another conversation I was having in a mastermind a few weeks ago, somebody was talking about how they were like a nine-figure entrepreneur, had done multiple huge companies. And he's like, without a shadow of a doubt, every single time my company has failed, it's been because of some lack of communication, whether it's internally or whether it's like with the customers themselves. And so I yeah, I think, you, again, just talking about simplicity, if you boil it down, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a business is run by humans. And so understanding how to develop these relationships, whether it's with clients or with the uh, people that you're working with, is one of the ultimate ways to really grow a business that that people don't talk about as a sexy strategy that much.
1: Exactly. And you know what? A lady told me the other day that works a lot with business people, uh, Brandon, she told me something which is very simple. She said that She hears people coming to her for marketing. They're looking for marketing, marketing, marketing. And when she talks to them a lot, she finds out that they don't follow up with their current clients. That's a common, very, because people are, sometimes they feel afraid to call people that they already know in case they say, well, I don't really like the solution that you sold me or the product. Like it's, there's something, I don't know what, I can't explain that. But in fact, you, When you reach back to the people you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you learn about your product and service just like Brian Chesky from Airbnb. Like you learn what works in that and what you can improve. And that's okay. You have a relationship with them. And I, th- I wonder, I haven't looked at the math on this, how much people spend more on marketing than they spend on nourishing their relationships with people they already have. mm mm-hmm
0: yeah that i'm actually having somebody on the show uh, he isn't officially booked yet but um he specifically specializes in customer success and i love this as a topic too because and this is not the very, the first time this has come up on the show, but like so many, especially early entrepreneurs, I think the only way to grow a business is by adding more marketing, more sales and that kind of stuff. But there are so many ways to grow a business by leveraging your existing customer base, by finding inefficiencies inside of your business model, by rearranging certain things. And so I think that, that it's a really important thing to understand that if you're willing to look at things creatively, uh, and also the relationships between the different components of your business, there's lots of ways to grow. And, sure. uh, I know you, you have a whole mini course on, uh, on improving relationships. And yes. I was kind of curious, there are a few uh, bullet points that you had that might be interesting to talk about since we're on this topic. But you talk about four steps to resolve conflicts, the turnaround technique, destructive habits to avoid. So I'm just kind of curious of that, of that mini course or some of the important things that you've learned about developing relationships over time. What are some things that you think would be really valuable for us to strengthen our relationships in our businesses?
1: Well, this is really interesting. The turnaround technique is so simple in the sense that it's literally you turn around and look at yourself You put yourself, we used to say, in someone else's shoes. How would I respond to that? You know, I mean, if you've had the experience and like, for example, the only social network that I'm really active on is LinkedIn. And sometimes somebody will reach out to me and immediately I get a sales pitch, the classic sales pitch. And I will say, you know what, actually, I, I don't need your service. It's okay, but they'll still come at me. They'll keep coming back to me and then I'll say, you know what? Maybe you try somebody else, but I know what I need. And if I need it, I will let you know. So it's it's like turning it around and looking at, would I want that to happen? That's the turnaround technique. It's so very simple. Like when you, when yeah. you look at that, I mean, it applies in business, applies in, in human interactions. How would I look at it? If somebody, if you went to somebody and you just got really angry and told them like how upset I am because of X, Y, Z and that, Think about is that the way that you'd want someone else to treat you? How would you like to be treated? You know, to me- bring it into the world what you want. You give the example, model the behavior that you want to experience. Now, people may not give you the experience that you want to have. But it's our job to model what we want to have coming back to us. And that's all we can do with our lives. We cannot control people around us. We cannot influence, impact, change what they're going to do. We can just do the best that we can and be the best expression of who we are. So. And resolving uh, conflicts, Uh, you mentioned a little bit about that, uh, in that there is, is if you have a conflict between two people, one of the most important things, and you actually mentioned it earlier on, and of course, I couldn't do it when I originally had the back injury, is physically changing your state. You know, if you're, if you're feeling down and out, you know, you could go out and you could exercise. But if you're, if you're in a moment in time where you're having a disagreement with somebody, it's very, very valuable to have the courage to say, you know what? I'm not thinking so clearly right now. I need to exit this conversation. I can come back in a few minutes or I can come back in an hour. Can we do that? And hopefully that other person will honor that need, whether it's in business. You know, a little break. It could be in a negotiation. So you can clarify your thoughts. In a relationship, it could be a period of time. So you want to pull away and get re-centered and then come back again. Take a little, add what I like to call as putting silence into the conversation. You need to go that way. And if the conversation is really complex, and you can't seem to nail it down, you might need assistance for someone else, like a mediator, depending on the situation, someone else to kind of say, well, you know, Brandon is saying this, and David is saying that, okay, let's try and find a balance between it, as Stephen, Dr. Stephen Covey said, looking for a win-win situation, how can we find a way that we can both work together? where everybody wins out. It's not always clear to to us. And when we're in a disagreement with people, we also want to identify as that I feel this way when you say that as against you make me feel this way. You've probably heard about this sort of way before. Mm. Because if you are implying it's the other person that's making you feel that way, it's actually not. It's purely ourselves that are reacting. Because every time I come to a conversation, I bring a history of my life with me. And I have to be very conscious. Am I using that in a positive way to enhance the conversation that I'm involved in? Or what am I doing? So that's self awareness. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I think that's part, it's, it's like a combination of the turnaround technique and also what you said about resolving conflicts. But this is something I've learned from one of my very dear friends, Jules. She's so good at this. Is like sometimes I'll mention a. Uh, situation and she will say, okay, what, what that person is talking about is not the real issue here. Cause lots of times in conflicts, somebody will bring up a problem and they'll say, this is the problem. But if you look the the, the layers deeper that, you know, lots of times that's not the problem, what they said was the problem really isn't it. And they're pissed at something else that's yes. not even related. Yes. Uh, so under just under having that fundamental understanding that there may be factors in play that you may not fully understand is helps you to empathize and understand the situation better, and I just also wanted to highlight too about the the turnaround technique. You know, again, so simple, you know, treat every, treat everybody what you, the way you want to be treated is <laughs> kind of like the, the core the core thing. But if you look at the turnaround technique, this has been fundamental in my success in copywriting and email outreach and developing relationships with people is because one of the filters that I always run my copy through is if I were not the one reading this, how like I always try to think about from the perspective of somebody receiving a message that I write as, you know, they're scrolling on LinkedIn, they're scrolling on LinkedIn and they're, they're pooping on the toilet, you know, <laughs> and they, they stop it. What is their frame of mind? like what, what are they like when they're reading it and try to read it from their perspective. And if yes. you treat the way that you are sending messages like that, it helps you to understand how to communicate at a level that is going to resonate with people more because it's not with your agenda, but it's from their perspective. So that is, I love the turnaround technique and thinking about it from that perspective.
1: Thank you, Brandon. Actually, what you just said there resonates with me in the sense that now I, when I write an email, I always do not, pardon, that's not the right English, I don't send it right away. I pause and go back, not only for grammatical reasons, but for to say how does that sound. And it's amazing, actually, for grammatical reasons. Yeah, I misspell words, or I have you know, euphonically something, but you a word that phonically matches, but it's not the right word. But it gives me the chance to go back and go yes, how how will that be interpreted? Because when you're writing something, as you mentioned there, when it's just in text. You've got no context, no tone, you've no idea, and you don't know, and I'm going to share with you briefly a tool that I learned that I think will be valuable to your listeners because it's really helped me, is that you don't know what state of mind this message is going to reach that person. Mm. So their impact to your message could be quite negative only because of their state of mind. Now, what I wanted to share with you is that there's an acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. Some people may have heard of it. And I still haven't found, even with the source of the internet online, who is the original, original, original source of this. I heard it was the Alcoholics Anonymous at one point in time. It was a, a mental training technique, but I never found it like nailed down. So I've looked at this acronym and I've actually added to it. David has taken the liberty to add to it, but I want to share with it. Cool, is it's that, yours now. <laughs> okay, here we go. Is that w- you do not make a decision, personal, business, when you're H-hungry. Okay, imagine you go to the store when you're really hungry, you don't buy the right foods, you'll know it, right? Everybody can relate to that. If you're angry, don't send texts, write emails, phone anybody, no, you wait till the emotion passes. If you feel lonely and left out, don't make decisions on that. It can be quite common right now because of isolation that happens in the world. People start making decisions about things just because they feel lonely. And the last one is tired, fatigued. Like when you're feeling really tired, this is not the time. You will get rest, take care of yourself. So that's hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And I taught a lot about this acronym, Brandon. I thought, I think there's something missing. It's quite uh, bold for me to say this, but I think that sometimes people make decisions when they're sick. That's not in there. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired doesn't say, like if somebody has, um, right now you're going through an illness, you've got the flu, they got a upset stomach. You know what? You can't make a clear decision. Buying, selling, relationships, anything. And remembering that people that you're interacting with, you don't know that they may be going through a period in time where they are hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or feeling sick, or it's a bad time of, of the year, the month, whatever it is, you don't know what's going on with them. So you kinda ha- you are aware of it for yourself, but also like when you say to somebody, I'd like to share something with you, is it the right time? And when they say no. I've had to learn this. David, it means no. It doesn't mean, well, can I just squeeze in a little bit of it? No, it means no. Just wait. Wait till the time is appropriate.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I love that. I'm going to remember that acronym. So hungry, angry, lonely, tired, at sick, so at yeah. the S. The As so
1: when I you guess- when you do when you do like halt is the German word for stop, right? I believe it's a German word for stop. And anybody who speaks German will correct me if I'm wrong. And when you put the S in front of it, it becomes an old English word because part of my university was in English. schalt and you say thou shalt not do something. So it actually, oh, I sure. I, li- <laughs> I like that because I can remember when it's a word halt. I can say, okay, halt. Now, what does this mean? H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's easier for me to remember pieces of information, particularly in a stressful time. This is one of the reasons why I look for simplicity. And this is a little bit kind of what we talked about before, resilience in advance. When I build that into my mind, I realize, okay, I need to make a decision about something. And then it, it's like it pops up. I get a mental notification in my brain that says, David, you're feeling tired. You're not going to be able to make the best decision right now. Defer it. Unless it's urgent, defer it, and that is that I've learned works better. And the sadness yeah, is yeah. the other side of the coin is if you've ever had a, a challenge with somebody and you've seen that they've, you've been in a conversation with somebody who's angry or tired or something, you know it's not going well for them. You can probably see it. You know it's it gets complex.
0: Yeah, I'm going to add something to your already bold addition to Halt. Cool, uh, go or, for or, it. Uh, um, and I don't think it fits within the acronym. It's more of a comment. So maybe we can think uh, and have some time to figure out how it would fit in. But I think it's really important too that if we are triggered by something that someone says, you know, first of all, like you said, don't respond when you have those few things. But something that has come up a lot on the show, and if anybody wants to explore on this topic, the episode with Dr. Juli Roca or the episode with Caitlin Kogan-Domner, okay. um, if Somebody says something that triggers you. There may be a a, that that is a perfect opportunity for you to turn inside and ask if it's if why it triggered you because like like it may not be something about them. It may be something deeper inside you that you need to journal and reflect on. Yes. Uh, And so, not only should you not respond right away if you're triggered, but look at as a good thing. Like ah. I'm triggered here. Like I can journal and learn a little bit more about myself. So um, just adding that as a layer on top is like, don't, re- don't respond right away. Like if, if I'm just thinking about a texting conversation or if it's in, in a face to face conversation, maybe the best comment is to say is, Hey, I don't think it's the best time for me to say something about this right now. And I would like some time to get back to you and maybe we can have a separate conversation, but um, just adding that extra introspection of understanding that you may be triggered and there may be something that uh, you can actually grow from as a result of understanding why you were triggered is, is a very powerful growth technique as well.
1: Actually, and I've got, I have a suggested solution to what you just said, not to change what yes, you're saying, do. but with the acronym. We often talk about electronic stuff and eBooks and stuff like that. You can have e okay? You put the e in front because the trigger is an emotional thing. You're talking about being emotionally triggered, right? So if you want to try sure. and remember Schalt with the very important statement you made about being emotionally triggered, for those people are listening because some people may not... uh, I don't know if everybody understands the word trigger. I totally understand what you're saying. It's like it's a trigger for your emotion. You have a reaction to it because of all your history that you brought to the table. Because people will get emotionally... You will, and other people will as well. You'll see responses in business or in relationships where people react in a way that you would think, why did they react that way? Perhaps some of your listeners had that experience where they've met somebody in business or in personal where you you're you're operating at your highest level you know you could buy a flower for somebody and they react very negatively that's because of something else in their history because your intention wasn't to hurt them
0: yeah and you can't take offense to that too and i think i could swear somewhere you have have content on this as well as how to deal with negative negative um you know lash i don't i'm not going to find it right here when when, like when somebody criticizes you how to how to how to come out of that on top is this kind of related to what we're talking about here or is that a different technique is how to i think i found it how to find peace of mind when others criticize you
1: ah <laughs> uh, yes gosh gosh you really have looked at a lot of stuff because i know that stuff I, I i produce so much content sometimes i have to go to go where did that where exactly that yes we're, we're talking sure. about yes you it, this comes from your your own internal compass, your own state of mind. So you recognize that it's not so easy, but you recognize that this is nothing got to do with me. This is something got to do with the other person. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because you, you know, as human beings, and as you've mentioned on your podcast before, and you mentioned on your, on, on your website and your marketing, the whole idea of business and relationship is to spread more love in the world to make a positive impact and it's hard when we we have experiences in our lives where when we we bring something out and it's not seen in the way it's intended. This is a little bit about what you're referring to, if I understand, Brandon.
0: Yeah. And, and it's absolutely.
1: that recognizing that it's the other person's journey and not yours. And being willing yeah. to, to, to let it go. Um, even if it looks like the perfect timing, it's not the perfect timing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and understanding when it's the right time to move on too—it's yes. like a, obviously a difficult, difficult decision to make. But I, I, you know, I've recently had to have some of those conversations. And they're never fun, but it, it, you always grow as a result of them.
1: Yes, actually, and this. This is uh, if I can, do we have time for to share two things that are one, yes. but, OK, yeah, let's go. Uh, when I was in uh, in Canada, for those people listening, when when I was working in Canada, I was simultaneously uh, doing a lot of public speaking through the wonder technique. But I was also working in business in real estate. That's for people to know. But I had two separate real estate careers. And it was really strange for people when they encounter me. You, you, you teach people health and wellness and mindset when you're working in real estate. Like it didn't match with their mind. But what had happened was the first real estate career I was involved in, and this would relate to people listening to think about businesses, I was trying to sell to everybody that I met. And this was a recipe for disaster that I didn't recognize at that time. Business was good. I was making business. But behind me all the time, I was getting more and more stressed because I I wasn't really conscious of what I was doing because I was trying to push everybody into believing that, they should buy with me and not with everybody else. So circumstances arose. And I actually I left real estate, but that was when my mom had cancer. This was back in the 90s, which actually led to the evolution originally of the wonder technique. And then I found myself wanting to go back into real estate again, to see, because I felt, uh, Brandon, that I had changed. I was not the same person. The Wonder Technique had been birthed, shall we say. And I was trying finding out, like, I'm different. How will business go in the same industry? Which real estate, I mean, in Canada and North America is not the same as in different parts of the world. But it's a very, very, very stressful industry. A lot of people, if you haven't worked inside, they don't realize how difficult and challenging it is. And it hasn't, I've, I have family members that are still in real estate. It hasn't got easier. It's great for business and it works well, but can also be very hard on people. What I realized in my second career was, is that I looked to connect with the right people. And if there wasn't a connection right at the beginning, I was willing to let it go. Even if I knew, I could, you know, I knew the property that they were looking for. I could match everything. But the relationship between me and the person wasn't Correct like between the two people and that to me is very valuable for me to learn and the same thing happens in relationships between friends where you still may want to be i may still want to be friends with somebody but relationships in our lives sometimes have cycles that end Like everything in life is cycles, the seasons, the days, the sun rises, the sun sets and everything. And I've learned with a little bit of wisdom that I have in my life, I smile at myself here and say, David, you still got a lot to learn, is that the whole idea that sometimes a relationship is over because there's a lesson learned that you can take away from it. And it'll help me grow. I'm talking about me here. Me grow so that I'm better prepared for the next relationships that I encounter. It's not an easy thing for me to embrace, but does that make sense when I'm sharing?
0: A hundred percent. And I think I came across something else that you had said on another podcast I listened to that you were on, and it was kind of like you have like this litmus test on how to understand if it's um, a good relationship for you to pursue or not. And it has to do with the energy. Do you want to maybe share a little bit? Yes. I think this was really good. Gosh,
1: I'm very impressed with your research. When you, uh, the idea, and I probably picked this up from somebody else because I learned from a lot of people, when you spend time with people and you leave the conversation or the experience you're with them, if you leave feeling like you've lost energy, like you feel down, like you can feel a drain, there's something not good about that experience. If you leave and you just feel kind of like the same, that's great. But in a lot of cases you're in, you know, it's a great experience when you leave and you just feel better because you talk to that person you know yesterday afternoon I had a conversation with a friend of mine I hadn't seen her in a long time because of her work schedule and because of issues around COVID and all these kind of things I hadn't seen her in person in a long time we sat down we had a conversation like we hadn't hadn't left the conversation for like two three hours and it was just fantastic and she's doing great and I left the conversation feeling so good afterwards and that shows me that this is a good friendship, you know yeah so it, it, it's a good it's a it's a litmus test, as you said, to look at things and as where am I in this experience with other people? If you feel like there's a kind of a energy where it feels like tense and not so good that can be in business, that can be personal, listen to that. You know, I say, listen, my friends, listen, what is going on there? Are you trying to be somebody else in that business transaction or in the business relationship or in the personal? Like some people would say, I'm going to act this way so that I can get this person to do this. Well, why are you doing that? Well, because I learned it in a technique that I should do this. Well, is that really you? Well, not really, but I think it might work. You're not really yourself. And this is when people talk about authenticity and being yourself. Because you can only be yourself. And that's I. that was something for me in my own life is I know my mom always says to me that uh, David's like an open book. I don't change when I move to a different environment. And when I recognize that, even though other people around me when I grew up, Brandon, would say to me, when you're at home, you act one way. When you're in business, you're one way with your friends, a different way. I can, I've never been able to relate to this. And when I try to, do that in my life I was so stressed out it was unbelievable because I was like how am I supposed to act in this situation so when I just decided to be myself everywhere life got easier
0: yeah yeah and I thank you for sharing that and just to kind of highlight the the litmus test so this is something that I'm experimenting with more and more in my life is is just listening more to my body's reaction to things because I think it's really easy to ignore that your body is giving you input, you know, like on, on a decision, just as simple as your energy levels, but also like if you feel a pain in a certain area of your body, that can be an indicator and kind of tying it back to relationships and client selection, what you're saying to, uh, my, my dear friend Jules says all the time client selection is the game like it really is the game like uh, and 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 in the episode I did with Jules she was talking about her uncle that um was a professional poker player and you can get distracted for years playing ten thousand dollar hands and if you constantly play ten thousand dollar hands you miss the opportunity for the hundred thousand dollar hands you know so if you're constantly ignoring your body what your body is saying or what your energy levels are saying about someone maybe you're picking up those ten thousand dollar hands that are distracting you for something that's bigger so oftentimes I think as entrepreneurs, it's easy to get distracted and wants to say yes to everything. But if your body's screaming at you otherwise, it's really important to learn how to listen to that because there's probably some truth to it.
1: You've made a very, very, very – I mean you've made a lot of valid points. But this is extremely important (laughs) what you just mentioned, Brandon, because that conversation that I had yesterday with this friend, she had to change. She told me she changed her whole perspective on things in her life. And it's a personal thing. She has a new relationship that's been going extraordinarily well now. And her body had been manifesting prior to this relationship illness. That That's, that's very, very interesting because our bodies will tell us like in different ways. Stop, pay attention. I'm, you know, we're yelling and screaming. And some people believe this. Some people don't believe this at all. But I know that Louise Hay, many, many years ago, she started talking about that, is that our, our, our body will manifest something that shows something to do with our, our mind because we can ignore a lot of stuff. But, uh, you know, it could be, you know, people might say, this is a pain in my back, right? Which, like, why are you having that pain? You might feel, you know, maybe pain, their throat hurts. What is going on? They feel that they cannot communicate. Like there can be a relationship from that. So Mm. to think about what is going on here uh, in your life. And I know for me personally, I've noticed the the pattern and I've pretty much nailed it down that if I allow myself to get super stressed, like really, you know, with with all the tools I have in my life, but I, I let myself go down, roughly about a week or so later, I'll be like, I'll crash. And it's like the body will manifest. Like I wasn't listening to it. And finally, when I pause, you will say, I'm taking you out of the game here. And I'm very grateful for my health has been really good for, for quite a while now because I pay more attention to that. So, yeah. And you know. if you're
0: listening to this and that, that's triggering to you, like, ah, this is a bunch of, yeah. I don't know, I shouldn't be listening to my body. That sounds like maybe maybe there's a reason why it's triggering you. Maybe it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so explore that. Explore that a little bit. Yes. Well, uh, David, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been a blast diving into your incredible story, all the things that you've overcome. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom uh, with us today. But I wanted to kind of ask one more question then we can find out more about where people can find out more about you and then we can wrap things sure. up. But uh, one question that I've, I've started asking guests more frequently and, I know it sounds like a really big question, but I don't want you to worry about it too much. But today in your life, David, after all these experiences you had, what does happiness mean to you today? What does happiness mean to David?
1: I Happiness means to me, well, where I find happiness is by truly being in this moment in time and appreciating what I have. That's
0: Love it. that. Not going to add anything else to it. Very, very simple. Very simple. I think uh, th- that's, that's my takeaway from every single time somebody gives an answer to that. It's like you, sh- you, do, you don't need anything <laughs> to have that. <laughs> it doesn't require anything else. You could just do it right now. You yes. can be grateful. You could be, be in the present moment. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, well, David, where can people find out more if they've enjoyed this conversation? Where, they can they, where can they find out more about the incredible work that you're doing today? The
1: very simplest way possible is the wonder just as it sounds, is my website online. That's where everything is, the easiest way to find me. I'm not, as I mentioned before, I am on LinkedIn, but I'm not a- active on Facebook or Instagram because that's a chime management thing for me. I give everything sure. and it's on the Wonder Technique so they can find everything about me there.
0: Awesome, thank you so much. And if you're listening to this and this is your very, very first episode, I just wanted to say welcome. Thanks for hanging out with me and David today. It's been it's been an honor to have you hanging out with us, and I hope you become a regular listener or subscriber. And I bring on incredible people like David all the time. So as you could tell, we'd like to go deep here. This isn't some surface-level stuff. And if you're returning, I also want to say thank you. You are what makes this possible. I truly appreciate you. And whether you're new or returning, I need you to do me a favor. And that favor is if you've listened to something today that David has shared that has impacted you or that you know could impact a friend, please hit that share button and share it with them. My life has absolutely been changed by pod that my friends have shared with me. So you know whether, it's, whether it was David's story and how he overcome the, all the crazy deaths that he had to go through or the car accidents or the rock climbing or his his thoughts on relationships, somebody can be changed if you share this with them. So please go ahead and do that. And um, I, if you do that, it'll really make both David and my day. But besides that, David, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you. This has been a blast. And I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Thank you, Brandon. And thank you to everybody who's listening. As I like to say, when you take the time to listen, you're giving me a piece of your life. And I appreciate it.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off. And that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week